Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. My guest is uh, Pamela A. Silver. She's a principal investigator at uh, the Silver Lab at Harvard, and she's the Elliot T. and Ani E. H. Adams Professor of Biochemistry and Systems Biology at Harvard Medical School. Uh, she's also a full member of the Weiss Institute, Weiss Institute of Biologically Inspired Engineering, and she was one of the first members of the Department of Systems Biology and the first director of Harvard University Graduate Programs in Systems Biology. So, yeah, go ahead. Tell me, tell me, uh, how are you doing today? First of all. I'm doing good. It's, uh, you know, the sun is shining here in Boston. It's warm. What else can you ask for? <laughs> Excellent. So tell me about oh, your work where? at Harvard. What What's the focus of your research and what are you working on there? Well, um, I'm sort of different than most people because I actually work on a lot of different things. Um, we have a, our overall gestalt is to think about all the things we know about biology and molecular biology that we've learned over the past 30 some odd years and to think about whether we're ready and how we can start applying that knowledge to solve what we think might be important problems or useful, make useful solutions. So in that context, we work on a breadth of things from health-related to to sustainability, you know, to sort of how do we make the world a better place? So that's very broad. Um, would you like more okay. detail? Yeah, let's, let's, so, since you work on a lot of things, let's focus on what you most are interested in or do you think is most important right now? Uh, well, personally, most important, um, probably, well, what's on my mind right now, of course, is climate change. Um, and we do have a project so we've been interested for a long time in how you can use biology to make useful things and um, and to harvest sunlight more efficiently uh, to make stuff and control that process. So you could call that sort of a green chemistry. We also believe that biology is the is the best chemist. So. Um, we have this vision of replacing a lot of the chemical industry with, with biology. It should be um, less intense on the environment and on usage of non-fossil fuels. Um, so towards that end, um, one, of the, one of our things that we did a few years ago was to co-invent something we call the bionic leaf. We did this together with um, Dan Nocera in the chemistry department here. So he's the chemist part and I'm the biology part. And the essence is to interface biological systems with inorganic systems so that one can harvest energy, for example, sunlight, and then do what is do essentially the water splitting reaction, which is what plants do, and fix carbon from the environment and interface that with bacteria that then make useful things. And as I said, we call that the bionic leaf. So we're pretty excited about that. Um, 
and how we might scale that up. And then I have a few people in my lab that are thinking about how, don't laugh, but they're thinking about how do we eventually um, use this kind of technology or related technologies for ultimately space travel and for Mars. So I have a postdoc in my lab very interested in working with NASA, for example, or or private industry. Well, let's let's talk more about the bionic leaf. Um, Does it look like a leaf or does it just have, you know, does it use (laughs) photosynthesis to convert, you know, sunlight into other forms of stored energy or what, you know, what does, uh, what makes it a bionic leaf? (laughs) Uh, So everyone always asks me, um, well, does it look like a leaf? You know, we get all these reporters and stuff and, and basically it looks like a chemistry experiment. So, you know, we take them over to the bench and it's like a jar with a bunch of wires coming out of it. So uh, not very exciting. Um, uh, I actually used it once as a prop at a, I was giving a graduation speech at my former high school and I used it as a prop to show people what it looked like. Um, you know what you should do? You should have um, a plant in water right yeah, next yeah, to it. Yeah, and then you yeah. tell them, they'll say, is this it? You say, no, this is it. And point yeah, the thing we, next to it. <laughs> we, we, we mess with people that way all the time. Um, yeah, we like to do stuff like that. Um, uh, but, yeah, it, it looks like a chemistry. It looks like a, high, you know, just a, a basic chemistry experiment. But um, the technology is really quite cool. Um, so the chemistry side of this is the invention. I should back this out a bit. Um, my collaborator, Dan Nocera, prior to working with us, invented something called the artificial leaf, which is a electrochemical reaction that when you shine it, when you shine light on it, it does the water splitting reaction on these electrodes and um, produces hydrogen. Okay, so that was existing okay. technology, and and then actually Dan and I were both a bit stymied by um, during the let's see the last. Uh, five, ten years or something. There has, I mean, in the perfect world, a hydrogen-based economy would be amazing, right? Because it's clean burning fuel. Um, it should be easy to obtain. And But there's been a lot of pushback on using hydrogen. There are hydrogen-based cars now, but obviously they're not what's, getting... What's the pushback? Because it could explode or are there other political reasons? Oh, everyone says that, but that's not the case. It's more about... Um, so we rely, as you know, on a centralized energy production process uh, around fossil fuel refining. And then we have a central processing and then uh, delivery to gas stations. So that's our... Or, or any kind of energy in this country. It's we have centralized production, right? Except the exception to that is solar power. Um, but or wind, I guess, right? Local wind, local uh, yeah, yeah. sustainable energy but, gathering. But those are relatively modern. Um, historically, right, we we have central power and, and centralization of gas production. And hydrogen does not necessarily lend itself well to shipping as does gasoline. So that's one drawback. Um, and uh, so that, that's been one of the issues around adoption. Another, it is really political in, in that um, um, the, I've forgotten how long ago, about 10 years ago, the Department of Energy 
put all its its money into or the future into electric cars, and that, hence that's where we've gone. Um, and there's been uh, forecasts about you know in California, for example, there has to be it's it's all about the electric car, right? So there's a combination of how we process and distribute fuel and energy combined with politics. And that, that impacts about everything we do in the energy space, by the way. <laughs> so, so say more about that. With, with, uh, with electric cars, do you think they're a good solution, a bad one, just a, you know, a partisan one? What, what's your opinion? I'm not super an expert in this. I'm, I, I happen to love my, my, I love my Prius hybrid, right? Um, I can't wait till I get an all electric car. <laughs> uh, I love it because I hate going to the gas station. <laughs> and I guess that sort of says something, right? That that I want to be in control of my energy distribution. So right. um, if I plug my car in when I want and where, especially at home, then to me, that just is liberating. Um, the discussion of whether it's, it's uh it's complicated. I mean, in the the perfect scenario, right, is that your um, you car. So this is gets to local. If you're harvesting sunlight, and um, so that has a whole problem with it that you know you can the issue around storage. So you can only harvest sunlight during the day, and there's no good storage mechanism. And so, right. um, you know, when you charge your car. Uh, actually, your car is a form of storage, by the way. It's like a giant battery. Oh, really? Say more about that. If you think about it. You're harvesting sunlight, and then if you're using it to power your car, that's like a giant battery sitting in your driveway. Well, so the gasoline is uh, is essentially the stored energy of the sun from millions of years ago. Is that what well, you no, mean? but in a, the electric car, you're charging a battery. Oh, okay. So, right, right. Gotcha. So you are char- charging a huge amount of battery. Power. The form of storage. Back to the bionic leaf. Um, so it's it's it can use any any energy source to drive the water splitting reaction, but we imagine and we and we we standardize it based on solar because we imagine that that at a local level you'd be harvesting sunlight and then using it to drive this device, which has the then the added benefit that it interfaces with a biological system, in this case um, bugs, that can eat the hydrogen and fix CO2 from the atmosphere. And then in a, it's in a, if you could scale it, it could make the biofuel, but even on a small scale, they could make, they can make useful molecules. They could make drugs, vitamins, plastics, even sugar to feed other things so they can make feedstock. So you have the versatility of biology at the back end. And so they're kind of they're kind of acting like a storage mechanism by taking sunlight and making it into stuff. Gotcha. Right. Okay. So, so instead of looking at the uh, sunlight storage as just pure solar panels, you yeah. can also look at it in terms of biology storing sun's energy right. in various ways exactly. in the forms of molecules. Exactly. And solar panels are not a storage mechanism. They are just a collection mechanism. Well, I mean, the whole process of solar collection, but okay. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a whole industry, which you've probably talked about on the show, about making 
better batteries and better ways to store solar, and that the bionic leaf could be thought of as one version of that. But what are some of the bottlenecks that people may not be aware of in, the, in storing solar power? I'm really not enough of an expert. That That's a whole field in and of itself. <laughs> Well, how about as it relates to, uh, you know, the bionic leaf, um, you're using it to split water molecules. Are you using it to, again, create any other molecules or interact with bacteria to create other, other molecules? Oh, yeah. So we have a That's the beauty of our system is that the bacteria that live in the bionic leaf are engineerable. So we can use all the tools, all the fancy tools of gene editing, gene, gene, um, uh, engineering and place into them uh, genes that encode or that program the cells to make stuff. And um, so far, we can have them make molecules that look like uh, biofuels. The one one we're very excited about are plastic precursors, and that interfaces with our interest in Mars. Um, where you're going to have to be making materials. And then even at the simplest level, having them make a feedstock. So if they make sugar, that can be used to feed other things, other uh, processes in fermentation. And then lastly, we also showed that we could grow bacteria that can not only fix CO2, but also can fix nitrogen. And so then those bacteria can act as nitrogen-based fertilizers. Yeah, there's so much nitrogen in the air that I guess the air itself would be a ready supply of all the nitrogen we could ever need, right? Yes, yes. That's how it works. So these these are pretty much bench-scale systems. Are you working on trying Uh, to scale them up? Are they ready for prime time? (laughs) I wish. Um, So my lab is really a sort of a proof-of-concept lab. we are not chemical engineers. We we don't we're not particularly scaling is not our forte. We've we've grown the bionic leaf, no pun intended, to be about uh I think we've made a is it a five or a ten liter version. I, sorry, maybe it's more like a liter version. One to five liters. So that's still bench top. Although for some what you call high value chemicals, so that's where you don't need to make very much of it. Um and it and it costs a lot, so that's often drugs or high value chemicals. Um, the scale becomes less of an issue. Um, so as far as scaling right. up, though, um, we have at least two avenues towards that. Um, one is through privatization, um, and the other is through collaborations with um, developing countries who are incentivized to do. Um, to, to leapfrog to new energy technologies uh, through the Paris Accord. And India is one of those countries that we have been talking about collaborating with on the scale up. And, and as I said, they're much more incentivized to do that than in the U.S. Hmm, okay. You know, how, um, so through the Paris Accords, um, the countries, developing countries receive money to um, help leapfrog to technologies that would be uh, more climate friendly. And this is this has become a you know this is a huge deal. And not to politicize this, but the worry that some countries 
it, there's us, which is bad, but that other countries might start pulling out of the Paris Accords, given what's happening with the acceleration in climate change, is is really scary. So do you think that uh, the bionic leaf will be a solution in that it'll create abundant amounts of hydrogen, which will reduce our reliance on you know, other fossil fuels on refining them and mining them? Uh, to be clear, it, in our case, it's not about the hydrogen per se. It's about using hydrogen to feed life that will then be engineered to make stuff. So it's really, you've got the front end, which is the water splitting reaction, the chemistry, and the back end, which is the engineered bi biological systems, and then the output of what they make. Okay. All right. It sounds a little bit complicated, but uh, you see the multi-step system. Imitate, that would it's make it imitating. Work. I mean, you think of it, that's what a plant does. So a plant harvests, it, it, you know, it responds to sunlight, it does the water splitting reaction, it fixes CO2, and it makes biomass. So to be clear, to be fair, yeah. hello, you still, oh, to be fair, you know, plants are still a great solution. And, um, and there's, of course, we don't work on plants per se, but the CRISPR technology is, I think, the one place it's going to be revolutionary is in plants because you can start to edit plants much more quickly in ways that will probably make them not technically GMOs, and, and that just is going to be a game changer. What do you think it's going to take, um, again, to make a dent in what's happening with climate change? Multiple, multiple initiatives or just one good one that works? Or oh, no. What do you God. see as the path forward? I mean, again, it's, it's just got to be everything. Um, it's, it's just the, the scale of the problem. I mean, to be honest, this, I, I, I had, this, like many people in, in synthetic biology, I think we all had this naive dream that we were going to work on biofuels and make cells better at making biofuels. And I, I, part of the reason I even got into all this is because I bought into that dream. Um, I had some crazy ideas that probably violated the laws of physics, but, um, uh, but then we fortunately invented the bionic leaf, but, um, but the scale of the fuel problem is is just so huge that if you starting if you start to think about making biological fuels, it the scale is just is just astounding, um, and that goes for uh, you know all of the energy use. Um, and so, well, um, can you give us can you, can you give listeners a, a sense of the scale? You said it's, it's astronomical. I mean, do you do you have any stats or numbers that would blow them away? Oh, I mean, there's numbers like if you're going to make an algae, you know, that harvests sunlight and makes a biofuel. So, so another advantage of the bionic leaf is that it does not have to be in direct contact with sunlight. You can have solar panels on your roof, and the bionic leaf is down in the basement churning out stuff. But an algae, which people want, are engineering to make biofuels, which is an interesting, you know, is a thing. Um, they need to be in direct contact with light, okay? It's it's a it's right. like a plant. Yeah, you can't. They yeah, have, it to, needs to, be in the they have to get right. sunlight, and so that requires surface area and water, right? So there yep. are numbers like 
you know, you would need an algae pond the size of Texas or something. You know, I've forgotten, but the scale is just huge. Okay, I gotcha. So, and that's, it's not impossible, but it's not something that I could wrap my head around. (laughs) Right, I gotcha, yeah. Well, what if uh, you were to apply that same metric to any other energy source, you know, wind? Uh, It would take a wind farm the size of Texas or the size of I don't know what in order to power the whole U.S. convention, for instance. So, like I said, a lot of it is political. The technical parts are efficiency, right? So Uh with solar panels, how efficient can they be? How efficient do they have to be combined with costs? And those are always the two, those are the two drivers is efficiency versus cost. And, and solar is getting, I don't know what the latest numbers are, but they're getting pretty good. And then, as you know, Elon Musk is really into this, but, um, you know, different ways like solar paint, you know, can I paint the roof of my house? Um, so I don't have to install solar panels. Uh, and that could make it more, amenable to more people using it but then it has to be really efficient because like i said you have this and then you have the storage issue because you can only collect sunlight during a certain part of the day and in fact when most and then you have to think about it at home when is most of your energy usage is it during the day or is it actually at night and so you have this whole push pull around energy consumption versus harvesting of energy. Hmm. Gotcha. So uh, what do you see as, you know, the most efficient and promising methods of replacing uh, our current energy consumption methods? Oh, I, I'm, I'm really not an expert in this area. I'm more of a dreamer. Um, That's important. I, I, I want to, I just want people, I want to see new ideas too. So I want to, I want to more, by working on stuff like the bionic weaving stuff, I want to see if we can energize younger scientists to to actually think that they're engaged enough to come up with new solutions. Um, of course, I'm a big fan of solar. It's a it's our biggest natural resource, right? Um, so we we should, I believe, we should be able to power the earth with solar. I think that experts would probably agree that's true. But it it does require technological advances. So then it requires an investment by either private or public sources, and that it it also requires a political environment that rewards using new technologies, not just relying on things like fracking and stuff like that, like we're doing. Right. I mean, the political environment in this country right now is, I don't want to make this into politics, but I mean, we're going in the wrong direction, right? So what do you think uh, is going to happen? You know, whether or not you want it to happen, but what do you think will happen over the next... uh, (laughs) Oh, man, loaded question, because, I mean, if you look, if you say the U.S., you know, we're a major energy consumer, we're always supposedly the leader and stuff like that. So on the one hand, we're the leader in we are a leader and we'd be leader in, in technology and entrepreneurship. And, and so that's all good. Um, yeah. But do we have, you know, what's the incentivization to do it? Um, and, and this is another part about, you know, the ebb and flow of biofuels. So biofuels are very popular often during elections because they come from corn and 
which is a very bad source, but but they our our ethanol is derived from corn, which grows in Iowa. So that's why Iowa is such a big target for for politics for politicians. And so there's an ebb and flow around biofuels associated with the election cycle. And um, and then also, more critically, the ebb and flow associated with the cost of oil. And so when oil is cheap, there's no incentive to invest in alternative fuels. Right, okay. There's another problem that could be changed, um, and that is the style of investing in the in the in the entrepreneurial startup area, the style of investment is generally very short term, as you probably know. And people are looking for fast turnaround and and things like that. And if you're trying, and whole engineering biology is going to get faster and cheaper, so that's all good. But you know, if you're, like I said about the scale, some of these things are going to take a little more time than the typical investment cycle. Oh, sure. So, do, you, do you think that innovation is going to happen in other countries and the U.S. will look at that and just, say, hey, we're not competitive and then adopt right, it? Right, you right. Know, right. Uh, so I was just going to mention that we are not alone in trying to solve this problem, right? Um, there are other countries who have are facing their own energy crises like China, right? Um and they are a big lead in solar panel development uh, right now. In fact, I think most of the solar panels may be made in China. Um, and so there's China. As I said, other countries are incentivized through the Paris Accords. Uh, India also politically has an enormous priority around energy because um, they've got serious problems. Brazil is always a country that is, you know, they were the first to adopt cars that ran solely on ethanol. Um, and so Brazil is, is, a, is a big factor here. And I think I read that it may, I could be wrong about this, but I, there's some danger that either somebody running or I've forgotten the whole story that might threaten to pull Brazil out of the Paris Accords, which would be a big disaster, I think. So, so there's innovation through necessity of other countries. So you can look at it as from a nationalist perspective, but it is a global problem. So, um, so that I think another idea is that people are going to have to work together more to solve this problem. And there are good, uh, you know, the Paris Accords is an attempt. I'm very interested in the ocean, and there's a lot of good stuff happening around, you know, the ocean also has a big effect on the environment and and ocean warming and things like that, and also on the food supply. And, um, And so there's a lot of good stuff happening around cooperation between countries around trying to save the oceans as well. Yeah, very good. So, um, you know, we're we're kind of out of time. What, right, right. It sounds like you're into a lot of things. You know, what's the best way for listeners to find out more about what the Silver Lab's doing? Uh, go to our website. <laughs> I'll, I'll briefly, let me just say we have a huge interest in um, making therapeutics, um, but new kinds of therapeutics that are based around designer cells or designer proteins. So we also have a program around engineering 
the gut microbiome for um, treating devastating diseases associated with the gut um, and uh, uh, other projects around um, trying to understand how we could solve, for example, if an unknown virus were to appear, how could we rapidly uh, diagnose that and and rapidly produce um, some kind of preventive for that? So those are some of the other areas right. that we're interested in. Yeah, that's a lot to cover. We'll have to uh, talk again if you're up for it. But, uh, okay, for now, lovely. I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Okay, lovely. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.